you know, I only expected our conversation to last 30 minutes, but then it just kept going and going much like the Energizer Bunny. And some truth bombs came out and some really deep, holy spiritual moments happened. Mm. And I really think you're going to enjoy the deep substance of the second part of the interview, which really doesn't relate much to the first part. So in the second part of the interview, you're going to hear us talking about very difficult life-changing moments when prayers aren't answered or heard in the manner that we want. And is God still good? Mm. We both talk about very vulnerable moments in our life where God showed up for him. God showed up in the manner of which he prayed for, for me, not in the manner of which I wanted, but yet God was good both times. And so how do we reconcile when we pray for things to happen that don't? And is God still good? That's the second part of this interview. Today on The Whole Person Mindset, we have Lathan Kraft. He is an international best-selling author, highly respected speaker. He is the host of a national recognized podcast, The Other Side of Church, which features regular guests such as Matthew West and Bob Goff. Lathan has also worked closely with them over the years. He's been featured in various podcasts such as The Crappy Christian Podcast, also, he is a founder of the Heartbeat from Hope, a nonprofit organization giving individuals hope to the most hopeless places in people's lives. He's also the founder of Afterwards, helping writers write their stories before it's too late. Lathan has a degree and is highly esteemed in psychology and counseling, leadership, and ministry. He has been regarded as an expert in many areas, specifically in the power of words. Lathan, welcome to the show. How are you? Man, such an honor to be here. Thanks for having me, Evan. You bet. Well, today we're going to be talking about what it means to have the mindset of Christ Mm -hmm. and why that's important for us as individuals within Christianity. Because I know so many times, not only do I struggle with that, But then also, I often carry a lot of baggage, a lot of guilt and shame for not. And and how do we transform our mind into thinking like Christ? So, Lathan, I want to ask you right off the bat, you know, you know the word of God. And so many other people struggle with knowing the mindset of Mm. Jesus Christ and not that you or I or anyone else can be like, yeah, this is how Jesus Christ thinks. This is, you know, his mindset on life and I'm 100% correct. Obviously that doesn't happen, but if you could give us what you think the mindset of Jesus is by using scripture, what would you say the mindset of Jesus is? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I think the mindset of Jesus is number one, he was fully human and fully God. I think that there's a lot of time where we kind of minimize his humanity. Um, and just this idea of 
well, is he really human? Because if he's if he's God, then he can't. Then I can't relate. But is he really human? He did some things that didn't seem very human, like miracles and things like that that people kind of can't relate to. But man, I and the here's here's where the mindset of Christ I think lives. Um, number one, and he said the greatest commandment: love your neighbor as yourself. So many people uh, skip over that verse and focus on the neighbor part, but you can't love your neighbor until you love yourself. And you you can only love your neighbor to the extent that you love yourself. And so Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself is essentially saying, have so much self-confidence and self-love, which is uh, antithetical to a lot of churches, right? Right. Um, That you are so confident in how much you love yourself and how, who you created to be, that you can love your neighbor to that extent. Which is why so many people who claim to follow Jesus don't love their neighbor because they don't love themselves. And when we think of the American culture hustle type thing of be be who you want to be, right? Like go go chase after the dream. If go chase after the millionaires, just hustle grind mentality. Jesus was so confident in that with prostitutes, like this this idea that he was so aware of who he was and so passionate about what he was doing that he hung out with people that were the complete opposite of who he was. Yeah. And just didn't hang out with them. And I think a a lot of people are scared to be that because they feel like maybe they'll backslide or maybe they'll, they'll bring us down to their level, but he was so assured of who he was that he hung out with people who, he knew would never be able to be like him. He didn't hang out with the the Pharisees successful. He actually rebuked them when he was with them. Instead, he hung out with the prostitutes and the broken and the lepers and all the people that were on the outskirts of the city because he wanted to love his neighbor as himself. So taking that into our next question, you know, there's this mindset that a lot of people have to clean themselves up before (laughs) they can come to Jesus why do you think people have a hard time coming to Jesus in their sin? Because we make him so unattainable um, just by the way that churches and people communicate a lot of times as we make Jesus out to be holy, which he is, but he's also so many other things. And so in his holiness is also his grace and his holiness is also his compassion. There's so many things that make Jesus who he is. And he's our great hope that we communicate him as if we'll never be him. And therefore people believe that they have to, and it makes total sense. The human mind comprehends and says, okay, I have to get my act together before I can even try to be like this because I'm not. And it's this illustration that I've often used of, if you right now and we're bleeding out on this podcast, number one, it'd be creepy and I'd be like, well, are you okay? But you got to call the hospital, call the ambulance and say, Hey, I'm bleeding out. I need, I need somebody to come get me. And then they said, okay, we're on our way. And then you said, wait, let me stop bleeding first. It's this idea of let me make sure I'm together. Let me make sure I've got my stuff together before you come rescue me. When really the reason you need to rescue me is because I don't have my stuff together. And so it's, it's a sad reality when we make Jesus unattainable, when Jesus made himself the most accessible. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. Why do you feel, though, that people 
like this is what I think I've had in my own life is because I've carried guilt and shame in my sin. And while sin separates us from God and there is, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction woos you back to Jesus Mm -hmm. while condemnation creates more of a divide. And I feel like guilt and shame, it can either be condemnation or conviction. However, most people fall into the category of condemnation and it feels like it pushes them away from Jesus. And so how do we get people to like, and even in my own life, you know, how do we overcome like, no, no, no. I can go to Jesus Hmm. as I am with my sin and he will love me. Hmm. And while he won't accept my sin, he'll accept me. Hmm. And then because I'm close to him, I'll be transformed. I think it is a, and I want to ask you a question in a second. I think it's an American church culture problem. Um, even thinking about going to church, which in the, the place I grew up with and around, you have to dress up suit and tie to the nines when you go to church. And so it's this, this brain connection of to be about Jesus, I have to dress the part. And whether we like it or not, our neurological side is a side of us. And so it makes that connection unconsciously, whether we want it to or not. And so it's this belief of to be like Jesus or to even have a chance at attaining who Jesus is, I need to A, B, C, D, E. My question to you is where did that great, where did that guilt and shame root? Where's the root of that? I think it's just rooted out of, uh, (laughs) this is the devil, (laughs) you know, like that's, that's the best answer I can give realistically, like guilt, sin, condemnation, those are all things that are created to separate us from God, which are mindsets, which are thoughts mm. that come from the accuser. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, the, the birthplace of guilt and shame unconsciously or subconsciously. A lot of times is from communicators of the gospel of this idea of, and there are f- so many good ones, but this idea of, well, if you did this, then, and it's the nonverbals. It's, it's the, what you don't say that could be as a, a, a festering pool for Satan to live of, oh, you did that. That was what you did. And there are so many instances where we are told, whether explicitly or not, that what we've done and who we are is not enough based on something. Um, because our standard of enough has been raised by somebody who we don't know what their guilt and shame is. Right. And so this way of which I struggle with it more than I would like to admit. Right. This, yeah. This belief of guilt and shame that comes into our sin life and tells us that what we are is, is who we are is contradictory to the gospel when there was no hiding with Jesus, like he saw a prostitute and of course she was probably dressed the part, but she saw a prostitute and he, and she knew that she had to be full. Like she had to be completely open with this Jesus. 
and in our churches and the way we've defined Jesus is so like mysterious in the way of skeleton in the closet mysterious of you be this way on stage, but behind the curtain, you're somebody else and the flock is following the shepherd. And so it's really hard to tell somebody who's in the, in a church or, or struggling with guilt and shame to not when the shepherd that they've been following for so long is. And there are stories of countless, hundreds, thousands. I mean, this past year, SBC, actually the Southern Baptist Convention had a sexual abuse scandal. And it's just, the there was no guilt and shame. There was, there was nothing that was communicated that way. And there's no real repentance. And so we have to, as, as communicators, as leaders, as a podcasters, as whatever, facilitate a space where guilt and shame literally cannot exist. It's a space where the, the cells, if they were cells, could not contain the environment because there's acceptance, there's honesty, there's transparency, and there's hope. Yeah. Well, in going back to the mindset of Jesus, the first question, you talked about that he hung out with tax collectors and a tax collector in Jewish culture was, I mean, if you were alone, yeah, you yeah, not only was it bad, but it, it was almost a death sentence too. Yeah. You know, yeah. prostitutes and the the worst of the worst in society. And then when I think about myself, I'm like, I don't, if Jesus hung out with them, I don't have, I don't have to, I don't have to clean myself up to go to him mm. I can just go to him mm. and his nature will transform my heart mm. and my mind. Mm. So there's this thought in Christianity. How can I be a better Christian? When in reality, we should be asking ourselves, how can I be more like Jesus? Mm. How do we set our mind on the things of God so that our mind can be transformed into thinking like Jesus. Oh, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Right. I just set you up for failure on that one. Cause it's a hard question. Like I feel like we're in a theology classroom now. Um, right? Going back. I miss those to, days. Yes. Going back to the idea of having, and having the mindset like Christ. Okay. Well, let's rewind. Okay. Now we're there at the mindset of Christ. Let's do it. I, I think another thing that we've been told, which Lathan is, this is my reality for so long, right? I was communicated to and, and believed that if I followed Christ, I was a sinner. And there's this belief of that we hear in, in messages all the time and just all these things where pastors will say, you're a sinner. And that's, you're going to talk dissonance. Like that is the most hopeless statement we can make because Jesus didn't define people by their sin. He didn't define people by what they did. He defined people by who they are in his eyes, beloved, chosen, all of these things. And so I, I remember the first time just kind of wrestling with this idea of who God is. I remember the pastor was saying, if you accept Jesus, you're a sinner. And I was like, what? Jesus hung out with sinners, but he didn't leave them there. And I, I think a lot of times we ignore what Paul says in First Peter, you're a holy priesthood, a royal nation, all of these things. We ignore that because we've been told that we're still our old ways when we become new. Yeah. We're still defined by what we were and what we did 
when we, when we become like Christ. And I think that has been like a brick on people's heads of this is who you still are. And there's somehow Jesus is kind of still there, but you're still this. And I think that can do our mindset a disservice now. Yeah, I see. Go ahead. No, no, go. I see what you're saying. And I'm going to have to chew on that just because, you know, am I a sinner? Yeah, I sin. Is that my identity? Right. And I think that's where we need to draw the distinction is because our identity is in Christ and who he is and what he has done and not in what I have done. And I think that's where we need to draw the distinction. Like, yes, I am a sinner who is saved by grace, but I no longer have to live in the mindset of a sinner. I no longer have to claim that death sentence. For now, I am the righteousness in Christ Jesus. Like you said, I am a royal priesthood, a son of God. Yeah. And when you become, every time Jesus met somebody and changed them, their name changed, right? Like I think of Peter, Peter, who is the church? Well, this, you're the son of the living God. And on this rock, I'll build my church. Like these saw the notorious one is Saul to Paul, right? Like that's the, the most famous one. When you become a Christian, when, when you when you become a Christ follower, you're no longer a sinner. You're somebody who sins. You're you're a beloved who sins. Sin no longer has your identity. What you just said, sin no longer has the, the stakehold of your claim. Jesus does, and He calls you beloved. And so, as beloved, did the disciples sin? Absolutely. As beloved, that you you sin. And Paul says in Romans seven and eight, my favorite verses ever. Like. <laughs> The stuff I want to do, I don't do. <laughs> the stuff I do, I don't want to do. This freaking is awful, right? Like this mentality of our flesh coming in. But in the reality, we aren't our old self. We are who God says we are, how God defines us, whatever worship song you want to put in that, in that space. And, and we have to start living as chosen and not as leftovers. Yeah. yeah. So let, let's go specifically talk about a, a sin issue. So let's say someone's dealing with a specific sin that has been around for years, okay? Yeah. And they've accepted it as just a part of who they are. And I know I've been there in my life. You know, I struggled with pornography for over 20 plus years, man. And yeah. You know, there's a point in time where I was like, this is just who I am. This is a part of yep. my life, you know? Never going to escape it. Yep. And it's never going to change. And I don't, you know, I'm tired of feeling guilty. I'm tired of feeling, so I'm just going to accept it, which was also wrong to do. Yep. And it wasn't until really believing that, no, it's not in my effort. Will I get rid of this? But it's out of being transformed by Christ's love in my life. And it wasn't until that happened that I walk in healing from that addiction. And so when we look at people who have accepted certain sins in their life, it's almost a defeated mindset. Mm-hmm. So how do we walk in the mindset of victory over sin? 
I love your question, Devin. So good. Um, count like sit, going at this from a counseling and psychology lens. Yeah, bring it. The, the addiction cycle, the addiction mentality is literally like as the water cycle would be for science, right? Like it's just a loop. Like you're going to know, you're going to inevitably be in a loop and there's nothing you can do about it. It's exactly what you said. Like porn addiction for 20 years, porn addiction for 15 years, whatever it may be, right? Like this belief of, well, this happened, which causes this, and there's nothing I can do to make this go back to the top of the circle. When really what we're doing in addiction, in addictive type mentalities is we're living in the past. And this idea of this well, this is happening right now. So inevitably, because it's happened before, that means this is going to happen again. And the the mind becomes, the mind doesn't want to work. Like the mind wants to work as little as possible in situations that are normal and programmed. And so, of course, in that moment, the resort's going to be, well, because that happened, this has to happen. Yeah. When really the only way to conquer and to get into what you define the victorious mindset is, to live in the present, to say, okay, in this moment, this happened, but that doesn't mean I have to go to the next step. That means I can choose in this moment not to do what I, my flesh is screaming at me, like screaming at me to do, right. right? Like in this moment right now, I have control. I don't have control of the past and I certainly don't have control of the future, but in this present moment, I have control to choose how I respond to the things that are being thrown at me. And it's a lot of life, a lot of people live life on the defense of reacting to things that happen to them or reacting to things that they're doing. When really what we can do in the mindset mentality is living on the offense of, okay, I, I have everything programmed so well that I know this is happening. I know I can do better than what I've done because guess what? Satan's programming you too. Yeah. He, he knows exactly what you're doing what you want to do. He knows you better than you yourself. And he has strategies to get you to fall. He's which, not omniscient. Let's be clear. Yes. But he's, but he does try to program. I mean, we can see that in music and television and culture and stuff like that. Yes. Yes. Let, let us define reality. He is not omniscient. He is not God. He is very limited, but he knows you because he knows things you don't remember. And so it's very easy for us to let him win the battle, whether we say he won or not, by our thought life, because he, he, that's the only place he can really, he can't do all in the spiritual salvific life. He can only develop in the thought life. And that idea of in this moment, I can choose. I have the power to choose. Choose Christ or choose death. That's the question. I want to rewind. Because you dropped a major truth bomb earlier at the beginning. And I want to go back to that, okay? You said the reason why many people struggle with their addictions presently is because they're living out of their past mindset. They're living out of the past history. And you said that earlier. And it's so true that, okay, well, because I've done this repeatedly in the past, therefore it will continue in the future or continue in my present. And there's this concept of future self, present self, and past self. Yep. And 
we have as individuals the ability to change our personality. We really do. Our brain is very uh, plasticity, I guess. It, it, it's very multiple, changeable. Yeah. We can rewire our brain. And I think one of the biggest things is, you know, we need to look at ourselves from the future self and act accordingly to that. Mm-hmm. And that future self of Evan Herman when I was stuck in pornography is the man who has been renewed by Christ and is walking free. Yep. And when I live out future self in the present, then I become future self versus living out of the past, which was Evan Herman, who was addicted to pornography. Yes. So if you're living out of your past in a negative way, that will affect your future. But if you try to live out of your future in the present, it will help. Yes. I love that you brought up the future self, because if we look right in my bookshelf right here is a framed poster, type poster, it's not a poster, of everything that Lathan hasn't achieved yet, but wants to achieve. And every morning I read that before I, after I read the word and before I start my stuff, before I start working, whatever you want to call it, because I know that I, that is who God has called me to be. The completed picture is who God's called me to be. And I want my brain to know that Lathan verbally is saying, we're on this page. This is where we're headed. I'm driving the car. Get in. As opposed to, and it's wild because I was just thinking about this a minute ago. When I wasn't living in my future self, I, we had a podcast at 9 Central, right? I would have got up at 8.45 out of bed gotten my clothes on and just like that said, what my, I wonder what's going to happen today. And I would have played the defense because I didn't know who I was or who God called me to be. But now that I do, I have a goal. I have a future that I want to attain that I know God willing, I will attain, but it's not for my glorification. It's only for God's glorification. Yeah. And I think that that's something that we need to reconcile within ourselves too, is that you know, ultimately all this is for the glory of God Mm. and that when it comes to sin, Jesus died on the cross. I have, I've already been sanctified and I'm currently being sanctified as I'm continuing to be transformed into his image. And then when Christ returns and I'm no longer in this mortal body and I go into heaven, I am fully sanctified. Like I have been, I'm currently being, and I will be. Yeah. I think that's the mindset that I I feel like a lot of us miss and I struggle with because it's like, no, 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 I, I'm not sanctified. I'm not being sanctified because that's not my actions. Therefore, I'm not going to be sanctified. Like that's, yeah, tends to be a lot of unconscious bias in in how we live versus I am, I'm currently being, and I will be. And so, I don't know, I I think that that's an area that I think a lot of people struggle with. But then even biblically, how do we go to actually living that out? Hmm. And, you know, is it Romans 12 too? Mm -hmm. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may... I'm butchering it. Do you you have it specifically memorized? You may know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Right. And and I missed something about the world in there. Be transformed by the reading of their mind so that you're not, you know what? Let's just, let's just look this up so that. And I, as you're looking that up, 
um, to the person who's listening to this right now, who has been caught in this mindset that Evan's talking about, that I'm talking about, that you just feel like you just mentioned, not sanctified or no real hope of being sanctified because of your struggles, because of your sin. I want you to know that I see you and I know that what you've been told as quote unquote advice is actually shame with a mask on. Um, and you've been told not to in certain ways when really that's not the way that you can get help. Um, especially when the mentality that you're living is understandable. It's like the, when you look at the mind and you understand thought patterns, it makes sense the way you're thinking, the way you're thinking is I don't be guilty of thinking that you're thinking is wrong. Just know there's a better option. Romans 12, two, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good and pleasing and perfect will. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. I butchered that. And yeah, we both did. <laughs> I'm so glad that wasn't like on a test or something. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Done with that. There's two ministers butchering the <laughs> so, but it's so true though, because I think I think the biggest part is do not conform to the patterns of this world. Pattern. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what does that look like? What does that actually mean? Like, how do you, how do, uh, how does Evan Herman and Lathan live that out? Go. What we have to understand what Paul is saying, he uses two words in synonyms, really, world and patterns. The world is predictable and yet very unpredictable, but predictable in as far as its patterns goes. And so knowing that everything is in patterns as far as in our minds, we, we think in patterns, it's simply disrupting the pattern. And it's much easier said than done, <laughs> like much easier said than done. We can sit here and preach and talk and do all these things and talk about how it's the good life or so whatever you call it. What is, is what is the cheese to the baby face crying? What, what's that <laughs> pattern interrupts that we need to, to have that cheese slapped in our face? Like, what is that moment? Cheese to the baby face crying. Can we talk about that for a second? Never heard of that metaphor before. Is that a Tulsa? <laughs> that a Tulsa you know, thing? Okay. So, all right. Well, we're going to sidebar conversation for one second. So there's these videos all around the internet. You're going to have to YouTube this where if a baby's crying, the way that you get them to stop crying is to take an American piece of cheese, the floppy cheese, and just kind of like toss it at their face and it hits them. And then it like startles them and then they stop crying. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm trying that tonight. <laughs> got to look at the videos. It's funny, but what, hap- what it is, is a pattern interrupt. So you were, you were talking about, we need to have a pattern interrupt. You know, the it baby's is. always crying and you can't like, Oh, come down. You know, it's like that. Whoa, that cheese to the face moment, what just happened. And and the baby stops crying. So going so back to our point, what's, yeah. what is the pattern interrupt? Yeah. So we've talked about it already, and I'm going to use a metaphor illustration to explain my point. Um, My mom died when I was seven. At my mom's funeral, the person they were talking about was not the person I knew. Mm. In the sense where um, they basically lied the whole funeral. 
and and tried to make up a pretty picture with a bow on it and give it to the audience as what a great individual. That that being said, when somebody you love is at your funeral, do you want them to have the same reaction? Yeah. Do you want them to think, wait a second, the person that Lathan they're talking about is not the Lathan I knew. And it's this, the great disruption is literally moving from past, past mentality to future mentality while focusing and being in the here and now. It's this separation of saying, wait a second, I have the power to choose whether I want to think of this in this mindset or if I want to think in this mindset. And then living your life so the preacher doesn't have to buy a funeral. Yeah. You know, I, uh, my grandmother was a very difficult person, <laughs> extremely difficult person. And I was the one that uh, was doing her funeral. Mm. And so it was like, how do I talk about my grandma in a loving manner, but yet being honest? Mm. And man, I went through her Bible. I looked at all her notes and stuff. And what I realized for her is why she was so difficult is because she couldn't receive love. Mm. She didn't know how to be loved. Mm. Therefore, she couldn't give love either. Mm. And that's what I led with in her funeral. Mm. And it ended up being really good. And I say that in this moment, because the pattern interrupt needs to come out of a place of love. And, you know, we look at, uh, I think it's Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, one of the best ways to, to reprogram the way you think is by watch what you're listening to, mm-hmm. you know, to change what you're listening to. Turn off the news. Dear God, I struggle <laughs> with that. I'm a conservative news junkie. And so like, I, dude, I just remember like yesterday, I, I drove for like four or five hours, like doing my real estate stuff, showing houses. And I just like, you know what? I'm going to listen to the Bible. I think I listened to like hmm. uh, first, second, third, John, Jude, Revelation. Wow. I, I, I mean, because I was driving a lot. And so, yeah. but it was so much better than, mm. than the alternative. Yeah. And so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that helps me transform the renewing of my mind. And then the other thing that I think about is Ephesians five, you know, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand the evil one when he attacks. And so let me, I'm just going to go to Ephesians five. Go ahead and feel free to talk and take up space while I'm doing this. I, the, the mentality and the idea is like, a, it reminds you of a monster of this old self. When you think the old self thoughts you're feeding the monster and society does a really good job of feeding that monster too. the news. You just talked about it. Like the news of this negative dismal, doomsday hopeless and that's the mentality that your mind operates in a lot of the time and i love one of my one of my mentors is bob goff 
and he makes it, he makes super complicated things seem so simple. So like when, when we're talking and I give like a deep, like <laughs> emotional grieving, he gives me one sentence with a smile on his face and it's like, you don't get it, but you do at the same time. Um, and I, I have dealt so hard strongly with hearing other voices as far as like the news or friends that don't believe in the best of me or things like that. And I let those voices control, make the thoughts, make decisions for me. And all Bob said was turn their volume down. And it's this simple of, man, just turn the volume down. Like that's all you have to do is just make them what you, what you did. You turn the news off and turn the Bible on, but turn their volume. Don't give them the power that they've had. Just turn them down. They can still be there. Just turn down. Don't listen to them. And, and I think that's, that mentality is more made in Christ self and less made in sense. Yeah. Going back, I was wrong. It wasn't Ephesians five. It was Ephesians six verse 10, where it talks about the full armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggles are not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of the darkness of the world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So we got to understand that the mind battle is not just one that's going on in between your head. It's literally in the spiritual realm around you that we can't see. And being prepared in that realm means that we have to put on the armor of God. And man, I... I am not that great at always doing that. Even as a minister, bro, I mm. struggle with that. I struggle yeah. hard. Yeah. I got three boys, another child on the way. Congrats. And, you know, it's just one, it's just, it's difficult to yeah. find time. And yeah. I sympathize with people like, I am so busy. Like I get it, but it's about making time and not finding time. What and you so, said really reminds me, Second Kings. Elisha and his servant, um, Elisha wakes up, which I can't imagine waking up to a landscape of people wanting to destroy him. Yeah. And, um, but he saw something greater. His servant went out in the field and was like, oh, this is destruction. Like, this is not good. And so he goes back to Elijah and tries to explain to Elijah, yo, bro, I know you're saying the same thing I am. We're done for. And Elijah says, because he knew what you just talked about, our, our, our battle isn't necessarily just physical. There's a spiritual, supernatural realm that's happening that we can't even comprehend. And Elijah simply says in 2 Kings 9, open his eyes that he may see. Yeah. And when the servant's eyes were open, he saw all of the angel armies that were fighting for protecting him. That he knew he wasn't going to be. Angel armies. <laughs> hey, Chris <laughs> Love it. That's funny. You know, l- let me let me finish reading the rest of it. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to withstand your ground after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted in readiness, 
that comes from the gospel of peace. Dear Lord, how much do we need peace in our life? (laughs) In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for the Lord's people. And also pray for me. Mm. You know, let me ask you something. I, okay, theology test time, Lathan. You ready Gosh. for this? Gosh. You ready? ready? I'm, I'm going to test your theology right now, and Do it's it. going to be epically hard. I'm going to fail. No, I don't think you are. Okay. The belt of truth. Who is the belt of truth? Depends on your interpretation of it. Um, oh, come on. Go back to John 1. In him, in the beginning was the word, the, the word, word was God, and the word was God. In him, there was no. In him, there was no. Without him, sorry, without him, nothing was made. And there was no life without him. There was, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So in the beginning was the word. So the word is truth. Well, who is the word? Jesus. Jesus became, was the word and became flesh. So Jesus is truth. All right. So righteousness, who is the breastplate of righteousness? If we're, if we're talking, I I love this. Jesus is a breastplate of righteousness. Yes. Who is the gospel of peace? (laughs) Jesus (laughs) He's so antithetical to our culture right now. Right. Who is the helmet of salvation? Jesus. Who is the sword of the spirit? Jesus or the word of God in him was the word. Jesus is the answer. And then (laughs) it's a Sunday school answer. (laughs) All Sunday school answers, man. The shield of faith. Who is the shield of faith? Jesus. Jesus. Like if you break down faith, peace, righteousness, salvation, truth, gospel, all those are Jesus. Every single one of them. And so when we talk about putting on the whole armor of God, we're essentially saying, put on Jesus. Yeah. Which goes back to the very first question. How do we take on the mind of Christ when we struggle with what we're going through in life? And we talked a little bit about it, you know, be transformed, turning those other volumes down, turning the gospel up, read pray, but what are some other things that people can do to put on Jesus? You got any easy questions for me, Evan? <laughs> um, you mentioned it, but the only way to have the mindset of Christ is to know Christ. The only way to know Christ, to find Christ, is to read about Christ because we don't have him face-to-face. We can talk to him, but we don't have him face-to-face like you and I are talking And so the only way to have the mindset of Christ then is not, is not solely basing interpretation of that on me or you or a pastor saying what they think the mindset of Christ is. It's knowing it for yourself. Yeah. Having it planted in your heart. Yes. 
So let's say I don't know how to plant it in my heart. What advice would you give me? Hmm. Um, first off, I would wonder why and it kind of goes back to your grandma, <laughs> like this idea of not being able to receive something, love the word, whatever it may be. Um, and that would involve not being able to plant to, to hold something would involve rooting whatever's there out. And so whatever that looks like taking it out and allowing the new seed to come in. Yeah. Lathan, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. I'd like to end the podcast with the same three questions. Okay. You ready for this? Ready. In terms of negative self-talk, what do you currently struggle with? Definition of success. Okay. What's your definition of success? Um, when I work my eight to five, um, my definition of success is, is the good life or what people are money, um, house, whatever it may be, is the American definition of success. When I go home and see my two boys and my wife, my whole definition of success changes, like that success. Um, and so it's retraining my mind into knowing, because I just actually... Two months ago, I had three brain surgeries. I was in the hospital for two months. Wow. Um, flatlined once. So I have a better appreciation for my wife and my kids and less appreciation for whatever the heck the hustle is called. You know what I mean? Like I, I want them to be championed. And so that's my success. Is what I desire my success to be, at least. <laughs> so how do you drop a bomb about having three brain surgeries and us not talk about it until now. That's why my head is half, I have half hair, half built on the video. And you can see the scar right here. Zoom is inverted. I was playing softball, co-ed intramurals. Um, and basically I wrote, I wrote a book about it. It's being, it's coming out not soon, but we'll see. <laughs> I, coming out um, not soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I ran into a fence and through CAT scans was basically told I was born with a brain defect that was going to kill me in a week's time if I hadn't run to the fence. Wow. In the sense of if I hadn't gotten my brain checked out. Um, and so that was my first surgery. Um, and then I got discharged from the hospital after that one. And then I was at my grandparents' house, which is where I am right now, is where our office out of. Um, and I woke up unable to breathe in, my, in the room I was sleeping in and was rushed to the hospital via ambulance, had two more brain surgeries and was told that if I had not listened to my body, which is the literal, the new trend in my family, is listen to your body, whatever it means, just listen to your body. Um, but I haven't listened to my body, my brain went aneurysm in a couple of minutes and I would have died. And so I have a different outlook as far as the seriousness of who I am, who God's called me to be, and it's crazy being in a hospital and, and hearing doctors and nurses be so nonchalant about death. You know what I mean? Like they, they're around it every day. And so it's almost like a, like me saying paper to them. It's like death, like that just, it just happens. Um, but if Latham would have died, which I should, I shouldn't be here. If I would have, if I would have died or should have in the hospital, my definition of success in a lot of things would be just worldly. But God is saying, God, in, the, in those moments, in a moment in the hospital when he said, do you understand who I've called you to be? I have a new appreciation and a new 
confidence, a new loving of myself in that sense of, man, I've got like, God's not even close to done with me yet. And I have, and there's so many people out there that have been told a lie massacre is the gospel. And I don't want it. This is interesting. Not only did you have physical brain surgery, you also had spiritual brain surgery through this. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I'm going to write that down. That's really good. You're right. Um, It's true. And one of the things that I think the really thing that I really came out of that with is on the floor, I was in the hospital, the nurse, when I first came in, she said, just letting you know, the turnover in this floor of the hospital is the worst of the whole hospital. And I thought turnover, HR terms, business terms meant people just leave, nurses leave, whatever happens. But three or four people die a day on this floor. And so I, it was common for me to open my door and see body bags flowing out of the, the rooms and hear the cries of the family behind. And what got, what one thing I really appreciated and, and became to understand and embody is those people were saying the same prayers I was. They were praying to the same God I was. Maybe they didn't know who he was, but they were praying for help and they didn't get the answer they wanted. But it's so often that like people that prayed for me and commented and, and so when I went home, they were hallelujahs and praise gods. Would that be the same reaction if I hadn't made it? Yeah. We, there's it's so often praise God and give hallelujahs and man, God's good when our flesh and our spirit agree. But what if they don't? You know, you just opened up a can of worms here, my friend, that we're going to have to go down. Um, you said that these people are praying the same prayers as you. Yeah. But there's was a different result than what you got. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who don't get the results they want in life and they blame God. And I'm just going to say this for whoever feels like that's them. And it's going to be a very hard thing to receive. Even in death, we have to trust God. Even in death, we have to trust God. That if our prayers weren't answered, we have to trust Him. Yeah. You know, for Christians, death isn't the worst thing. But here's the thing. Let me let me rephrase this. If we have enough faith to trust God for life, we must also have enough faith to trust God in death. Mm. That's good. Yeah. And that's easier said than done. For sure. And one of the cards that I received have this painting behind me um, that has since been put on my wall. And it says, God has not forgotten you. And it was this stop me in my tracks because the people that believe their prayers aren't being answered, believe God forgot them. Yeah. Like he, he skipped, he placed the, the place, the Uno card of skip and just is not listening, but we have to trust in life and death. Like Evan just said, but also trust that the bigger picture makes this smaller picture look like trash. 
in the sense of what we will see with Christ, if we are found in Christ, what we will see with Christ far outweighs this. He needed that puzzle piece to make everything make sense. And if you get a dot, 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 and not a yes, he's still good. I remember when I, uh, was holding my daughter's body. Mm. Having to believe that even in her death, that God was still good mm. and not blaming him for my situation, not blaming him for my circumstances, but trusting that regardless of what happened to us and to her, that he would redeem this, not only as in this life, but in eternity. And for us, for me, he did. Because he revealed himself in a way that I couldn't even explain. Because what he showed me, that pain, that desperation, the anxiety that I felt over the loss of my daughter. A few hours, we had her body for seven and a half hours. When the nurses came in, I was holding her. And man, like losing her was hard. Handing her body over Mm. was the hardest thing I'd ever had to do in my life. Yeah. And that pain, that desperation, the anxiety, it felt like life itself was being sucked right out of me. Mm. And, uh, Fast forward to nine o'clock at night. I was praying. I said, God, where's your love in all this? Because I don't see it. And I desperately need to see it. I don't blame you. You didn't cause this. You didn't need another little angel in heaven. I don't believe that. (laughs) I believe that the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. And this is the work of the devil, not of my father. When I asked to see his love, he gave me a mental picture. I'm going to tell you, but just guess what that mental picture was. You'd be wrong. (laughs) That mental picture, when I asked to see God's love, the mental picture that I got was the moment I was giving her body over to the nurse. That pain, that desperation, the anxiety, life itself being sucked right out of me came flooding back in. And I heard God say, and that is exactly how I feel any time any of my children live a life without ever knowing my love. Mm. And in that moment, Mm. I didn't become God, but I understood him in a way. I became more like him in his character and nature. Yeah. Yeah. And for whoever this is for, God has not forgotten you. The prayers that you prayed that weren't answered, the hope that you had that feels lost, the anxiety that you struggle with, God has not forgotten you. 
So I encourage you to ask him to show you his love in this process. Mm. Because he will. Mm. Mm. Praise God. I don't know where to go from here. (laughs) Wow. And I've... Um, only if you've been there, can you, can you relate? You know what I mean? I've been there. Yeah. I relate to your story. I can't imagine the, the passing off of the body. Can't imagine. But only when you experience pain, and I think pain is a common, more fluent, a lot of people are more fluent in pain than they are in English. <laughs> um, Good. I think pain, once you've experienced it, all of the things that people try to numb the pain don't work. And I think one of my favorite books about pain is a grief observed by C.S. Lewis. Great book. And in that, you just mentioned it. He just talks about his wife dying and the belief that she is in a better place. And he basically like disregards the argument and says, she's not here. I don't care. She's in a better place. She's not with me. And I remember one of my friends who lost his daughter seven days after she was born. He said, I was asked every day, let me know if I can do anything for you or let me know if you need anything. And all I wanted to say to them was, I want my daughter back. That's what I want. And only when you've been there Can you experience it? And God, in his goodness, in his grace, in his compassion, not in his wrath, has not forgotten you. You're not a conduit of God's wrath because you've been in pain. It's actually probably the complete opposite. I remember my wife and I were in counseling, marriage counseling together. Not because we're going through a divorce, but because we believe in counseling. Which is great. (laughs) And um, we we were just talking about our story of just pain after pain after pain. And the counselor looked at us and said, have you ever thought about the reason God has brought you through these is because he loves you. And we never tied the two together. Mm. We never made sense of love and suffering. Like we never made that connection. But have you ever thought about what you're going through listener right now? It's because God's madly in love with you. And he wants to give you the same mental picture that he gave Evan. Not that he caused it either. Right. Right. But that he's there. He can use it. Through it. That's how good he is. He can use what he didn't cause for his good. What are you feeling right now? Holy moment. This is a holy space. God, I just pray for the person or people that are watching or listening this that just need an outpouring of your love. Mm. God, touch them. Touch their hearts. 
touch their minds, their emotion, their will. Help them to be able to rest and to rest in you. You pray. God, I pray for the individual that's like Evan's grandma. Doesn't know how to receive, can't receive love. Maybe just maybe the reason you can't receive love is because your scab and your wound is so big because you've been hurt so many times that you've just kind of given up on the idea of love, especially God's love. God, I pray for a supernatural, overwhelming, all-encompassing warmth, whatever it may be. You're the God of million chances. God, I pray for that person who just can't feel love anymore because a man-made thing told them not worthy of it. But you rebuke the lies. Put Satan in his place. Made feel again. Amen. Amen. Man, thanks for so much for. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Amen. It's been good. It has. I appreciate you. Appreciate the podcast. Appreciate your mission. Thank you. This is great. And this is the first time Lathan and I have ever talked. By the way, that is. <laughs> Looks like I'm gonna be going up to Tulsa soon. <laughs> no, that, yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Um, man, where can people find more out about you if they want to follow you? LathanCraft.com has my all of my links. If you're listening to podcasts, say outside of the church. Um, but play if you felt like you can't receive love, listen to some of the stories outside of the church. Yeah. Reach out to him or me. Yeah, for real. I think I can speak for Evan as well. Um, The idea and the lie that when you become somebody as far as a host or whatever, you become less accessible um, is not true for me or Evan. You you can reach out. And when people and a lot of people, even Christian influencers in some weird way, become less accessible, the more influential they become. And I refuse to live in that mentality. Yeah. Because people sink and matter. Yeah. It's been good. You're a good man. You too, man. Have a great day. Appreciate you.